0: All right, so a quick poll before we get into the text this morning. Uh, what are your favorite days of the year? Oh, wait, hold on. Children can be dismissed through third grade. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so uh, kids through third grade can be dismissed. So while they're exiting the sanctuary, what, is your, what are your favorite days of the year? You can say them out loud, don't worry. The end of daylight savings time. The end of daylight savings time, that's a good one. The end of the school year. Any other good ones? Friday. Fa- Friday. Friday. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. First day of spring turkey. First day of spring turkey. All right. Any others? Christmas. Christmas. Thank you. I mean, any other favorite days? New year. What's that? New, year. New Year's. Okay, that's a good one. Maybe a birthday? Yeah, I like my birthday. Yeah? you celebrate it for a month. Y- you like your birthday. You celebrate a whole month. Every Easter. Easter. Every day I'm alive. Every day you're alive. Okay, <laughs> okay now we're, you know, trying to get brownie points. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we have the good days. How about your least favorite days? Tax time. Tax time. It's the first day of school. The first day of school. Ah, going to the doctor's office, all right? Or the dentist or yeah, any of those things. Coming back from vacation. Coming back from vacation. Monday. Monday. Any other bad days, least favorite days? Well, this morning our text is bridging the gap from probably one of our most favorite days and our least favorite days and in so doing, God is reminding us that he works in all things as he presents himself to us through the gift of his son. Our passage, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, very familiar passage for Christmas. Uh, this passage is the account of the birth of Jesus. And when we think about what takes place at Christmas time, And when we reflect and remember back to over 2,000 years ago what took place in a little town named Bethlehem in the shadow of Jerusalem, we are reminded again that the presence of Jesus brings great joy to a world that is weary and lost. It's important for us to understand something about joy. And we talk about this from time to time, but joy is far different than being happy. We can be happy for all sorts of things, but it only lasts for a moment. But joy lasts forever. When we think about joy and the understanding that joy is a resolved hope, a, a state of eternal bliss an exaltation of God's kindness and grace. That joy is more than just a quick, passing, fleeting moment. And I would say, you know, as in, in six days, many of you will gather around a Christmas tree much like these. And if you're looking to find your joy based on what's underneath these trees... It won't last longer than the wrapping paper lasts on the gifts. But if you're able to stop and consider the gift, the reason why we celebrate a day like we do in Christmas time, and you understand what God is showing you and, and telling you and encouraging you to see, that you will see that your joy will last long beyond a day or a season. Because for us as believers, right? Every day is a joyous day. Every day. Not just a season. Not just a time. Not just a moment. But if we know Jesus and we have found ourselves not under a Christmas tree, but under the cross, knowing what Jesus has done for us, then all of us have joy that will last forever. Christmas, as we see in the text... Begins with a decree. I'm going to read to you in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and I want you to see how God is showing this joy uh, to a broken and lost world in the midst of a time where it wasn't a very good day and season for the lives of the people that were affected by this decree. We read in verse 1 of chapter 2, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And so you see the bridging of the gap between the worst day and the best day, right? Christmas falls under tax season. That's why Jesus was brought to, to Bethlehem by his mother and father, right? Mary's still pregnant. She's, still, she's very pregnant at this point. She's almost ready to have the child. And they in this first century world, and, and, and we know from the, the names that are mentioned that Quirinius, who was governor of Syria, we're looking around 4 or 5 B.C., when this event occurs. Because we have extra biblical writing that tells us when he was in charge of Syria that this census was given by Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the Roman Empire. That when he placed himself or when he was placed on the throne, they required a census to be taken for what purpose? So that they can count the people so that they can be taxed. And this couple that God had miraculously worked through and visited. Remember, Gabriel visited Mary and Joseph. That God was promising a Savior that now the day is coming to completion. And can you imagine being Mary? You knew what God was doing, right? We sing the song, Mary, did you know? She knew full well. What God was doing. That Jesus, the Savior, was coming. And within the anticipation and exaltation of that, they get a decree that they have to go register for taxes. And in the first century world, they traveled 80 miles from Galilee in the north to Bethlehem in the south. Maybe Mary was riding on a donkey. Like we associate that because she was very pregnant. But they had to, in the dusty desert, make their way to Joseph's hometown so that they could register. And this man, Caesar Augustus, and this is important for us as you read Luke's Gospel. um, This man, Caesar Augustus, called the census so that he could collect tribute from these people. Now, this name Augustus was given to Caesar by a Roman vote of the Senate. The word Augustus or name Augustus means holy or revered. And in the Roman world, this term Augustus was only Uh, reserved for the gods of the Romans. And when Caesar assumed the the rule that he had as... Emperor of this empire, the Senate voted and they said, We will call him Augustus. And you have to understand why Luke is including such details in the text, because we have a man named Caesar who is saying that he is holy and revered. And Luke is saying, No, there's someone far greater that is holy and revered that is coming. And I want you to see and draw your attention on him. And his name is Jesus. And so they travel. And as they travel, you know the story, right? They they make their way to Bethlehem. And they're not the only people. The Jews from the, the area of the, the world that they lived in had to go to their hometown to register. And so there were other ones, and the towns were filling up. And they go to Bethlehem where they don't have a place to lay their head, and they look for room in the inn. And There is no room because everyone is there to pay their taxes to register for the census. And we read that while there was no room for them in the inn, that Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Now, likely, because there was no room in the inn, The innkeeper said, the only room I have is in the stalls where we keep the animals. And there would have been stalls around these inns to hold all the animals of the people that were coming. And so they sheltered with a bunch of barnyard animals. So you have a census from a foreign leader from a dominating nation. You have an inn where there's no room. You have the smell and the stench of outside animals. And this is where the king is born. These verses, just these first seven verses, reminds us that God can use all things, even the interruptions of life, to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Can you imagine the imposition that was Mary was thinking, really, right now we have to go? And they went. And as they went, our Savior's birth fulfilled divine prophecy like Micah 5, two. Oh, you little Bethlehem. That little place, small place, inconsequential place. Oh, and oh, by the way, the parents, right? The mother and then the Stepdad of the Son of God came from another small town, Galilee. Born in the midst of a stable full of stench. Right? Like, I, I've said this before. It, it wasn't until we moved here that I I smelled smells that I had never smelled before. <laughs> like the outside, like, oh, they're cleaning that out today kind of smells. It gets your attention, right? You know, we have these sterile manger scenes with these nice, clean, swept stalls. And, you know, the, you have the family and all oh, these animals are just smiling and they're just so happy to be around and all those things. There was nothing sterile about what took place the night that Jesus was born. The earth was cold and hard. This smell of birth was mixed with the stench of manure and bitter straw. A trembling carpenter's hands delivered the savior of the world. Can you imagine the baby, baby Jesus being born, kind of just waving helplessly as if falling through space being delivered to the world? And his cry pierced the night. No child born into the world that day seemed to have lower prospects than that child. The Son of God, not born as a prince, but as a poor pauper, come to set us free. I mean, this is where Christianity begins. This is where it starts for us. With a sense of need. With a sense of one's insufficiency. Christ Himself setting the example that He comes to the needy. And He truly was born for those who are poor in spirit. now every day since 1965 56 years now in between the Grinch of Whoville the miracle on 34th street my wife is just so I don't know the name of that movie but I know that there's a movie about a red rider bb gun and she loves that movie right and In the midst of all of the commercialism, of all of the stuff that we interact with around the Christmas season, you have a little boy in a cartoon character sharing the true meaning of Christmas. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. Aren't we glad that they haven't canceled that yet? Did you notice when Linus was sharing and reading the Christmas story in Luke 2, he did something? He dropped his blanket. Charles Schultz, who is the author of the Peanuts cartoon, became a Christian during World War II. And he he wrote about his faith in his cartoons through the characters that he had and Isn't it just a great reminder to us that when the presence of Christ comes, fear runs away? And that's what we're in contact with this morning. As the story continues, the Savior is born in a food trough for animals, in a dirty, smelly stable. In the dark of night, And while he is born, heaven explodes with thunderous praise. And we read in verse 8, in the same region, like right next to Bethlehem. There were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. If you were a shepherd in the first century world, it was a 24-7 job. They didn't punch a clock. They didn't get home at night. They didn't have a lot of off time. They were bound to the animals that they kept. And these shepherds were out keeping watch over their flocks at night because it's usually in the night that the trouble would come. You know, the predators coming for the lambs that they were keeping watch over. And it was in the midst of this night, if you can imagine in the cold night of Bethlehem's um, arid air, it's dark and maybe a flickering uh, campfire, that the night sky lit up like they had never seen it. And what do we read in the text? As they were keeping watch of their flocks by night, an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. That's going to get your attention. And as he stood before them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Now listen, if you were there, you would have been terribly frightened. You would have been. I I know I would have been. This, this glory of the Lord that shone around them was the Shekinah glory of God. Like this is the glory of God that showed up in a burning bush or in a pillar of fire and a cloud by day. It's this glory that guided God's people in the wilderness It's the glory that would later be shown as Jesus and his friends, Peter, James, and John, would be on the mountaintop of transfiguration. And it's right here in the dark night in the midst of shepherds. And when the Shekinah, the glory of God shone around them, they did what each of us would have done. They fell on the ground in fear and amazement. Listen, listen, Our God must be feared, but we need not be afraid. The presence of joy conquers fear. And as they are gathered in the night, these shepherds who were nobodies, they really were, they were considered unimportant and useless. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with those questions. Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Does anyone notice me? Does God notice me? Does God love me? Does God care? You know, all the questions that, that surround our what, what seems like at times and moments that insignificance that, that grips us as we walk through this life thinking, like even right now, there's some 7 billion other people just like me. Do I matter? Me? Me? And it's these shepherds that were just like us that the angels appear to. Dirty, scrungy, cold, smelling, unbathed, unimportant, unnoticed. In their culture they were at the bottom of the food chain really there was extra biblical writers um, that, that wrote some things like called the Mishnah it was written by the Jewish leaders about a relationship with God built upon the Old Testament but it had all sorts of excess kinds of things and in this document called the Mishnah it said that the shepherds were just a little higher than another group that were the most loathed in society and they were the lepers and so if you were a shepherd You couldn't participate in the temple worship and exercises of of celebrating and worshiping God the way that the Old Testament had prescribed because they were dirty and cast off. They were at the bottom of the chain economically and socially. They were looked down upon doing a tough and dirty job. And this is where God makes his announcement first. Have you noticed that as we've been working through these songs that we've been in contact with over the last few weeks? Whether it was Zacharias, who was just an ordinary priest, right? In a small, insignificant place. He would do his duty that he was called to do at different times. But the angel Gabriel showed up to him. And then we considered Mary, this young teenage girl from a inconsequential Nazareth place that really wasn't on the map and she was likely this poor, illiterate girl. The angel Gabriel announced to her that she would give birth to the Savior. And here again, we have these shepherds that weren't working in the palaces. They weren't students of the Scriptures of, of trying to help people and point people to see the great truths that God had written. They're applying their trade in a nobody place. And God came to visit and announce that He has come to bring great joy and great news to all the people. The angel said, I am bringing you good news for all the people. You know, you're all the people in that verse. That's you. That's me. That's every person that will ever be born from the moment that this baby came into the world. Good news for all People, Not good news for the priests, not good news for the religious, not good news for the zealots, not good news to those that have their life together, not good news for those that have everything worked out, figured out, planned out, they, they don't sin a lot, all those kinds of things. This is good news for all people, even dirty, smelly shepherds. And what's the good news for all people? Well, the good news is this today there is born for you a Savior. Not a King, but a Savior, a Messiah, a Redeemer, a Forgiver, a Rescuer. God who leaves heaven so that you can be healed. Today for you is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The presence of joy overcomes irrelevance. Sorry, that's a hard word for me. It's this idea that Christmas reminds us every year, no matter where you are, where you came from, what you've done, Jesus has come to set you free. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's weighing on your heart. I don't know what thoughts overwhelm you when nobody else is, is aware. But what takes place in a smelly manger is for you. God visiting for you so that you could be set free. These shepherds, these overlooked, cast off guys, would have understood the significance of the angel's words. Because it's very likely that it's these shepherds ministering outside of Bethlehem, which was outside of Jerusalem, were tending and caring for the very lambs that would be brought to the temple to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And it's these shepherds in this night as the angels announce... Did they understand what it meant that today a Savior is born? Because their very work, life's work, depended on raising lambs for slaughter to hopefully pay for the sins of the people year by year. And it's these men that heaven makes its first announcement and the joy that is associated with it, that today a Savior is born. It's important to understand that the presence of joy is greatest when the need is the deepest. They understood it. They understood they had great need. They had been considered overlooked. And heaven is saying, you're not overlooked. God is for you. God has come to you. God will deliver you. The good news is important because it's the content of the message. When the angels spoke of good news, he said that the savior is born. And from the very first pages of scripture, we now see the fulfillment of everything that God has promised that help has come. Those lambs that they were raising no longer needed. The Savior has come. I mean, in a very practical way, they were going to be out of work because their job wouldn't have been necessary. But they would much rather, because we see in the text they were expecting and longing, they would much rather go and interact with the real Savior and see Him who is Christ the Lord. Commentator William Barclay writes, what a lovely thought it is to think that the shepherds who looked after the temple lambs were the first to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so what did these shepherds do? The angel comes and visits. The multitude... Of the heavenly host shows up in the night sky saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go take a nap. When we we wake up tomorrow, maybe we'll ask some questions about this. No, it doesn't say that. It's the middle of the night. They're in charge of flocks. And what do they do? Let's go and see this. Let us go straight to Bethlehem. Then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry. I don't know about you, but if you're ever in a hurry, like if I'm ever in a hurry, sometimes I leave things behind in a hurry. These shepherds are just like, hey, we got to go. And nobody is saying, but what about all these lambs? No, there's something more important that we are to see, the true lamb of God. And so they go in a hurry. And they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And can you imagine Mary's mind? Right, the, the angel had visited early in the beginning of her pregnancy and, and she treasured the things that Elizabeth told her and she treasured the thoughts uh, of what God had said to her. And now you have these shepherds coming and, and they wanted to see their Savior and she treasured and wondered and pondered all the things that were being proclaimed. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just had been told them. I mean, when they came and saw this child, there was nothing in this baby that would have told them, He is the sacrifice. But their faith and the experience of God visiting them and seeing all the truths coming together, they knew when they left the presence of Jesus, they could praise God because the Savior has come. And the presence of joy is wrapped up in a baby laying in a manger. If you notice what is said by the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. God's peace and favor is not an imposition. It's not. He doesn't force it upon us. The angel speaks of God's peace and His favor that would rest upon all of the world. And I say would because it's a dependent statement. And on earth peace among men, not all men everywhere, but with those whom He is pleased. And how are we pleasing in God's eyes? By faith. By faith we are deemed pleasing the text says that the angels said they didn't sing so i took a a little liberties with the hymns of christmas and the song of the angels because we're not sure if they were singing as a heavenly host or speaking as a heavenly host much like in revelation later when the angels are saying holy 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 we're not sure if they're singing or saying whatever it is it is the constant heartbeat of the angels to give eternal praise To the King who has come, who is set apart above all. The Christmas message of this passage should make us sing year-round. I know some of you don't like to start singing Christmas music until maybe November 1st, mostly definitely after Thanksgiving. But some of you, it might be all right, May 5th, start singing some Christmas carols. How about for all of us? Is the song of Christmas on your heart year round? Are we singing praises to God for his faithfulness? The presence of God's Christmas joy was not forced upon these shepherds. They were told of good news and where they could come to to seek and, and experience the presence of the, the good news itself, but they went and they went in a hurry. And they were invited to the gift offered in love by their heavenly Father. This joy is for all, but received only by bowing to the King. This is important for us. In the humblest of circumstance, heaven's King came for us Dirty, sinful people. I haven't called you shepherds yet, but that's what we are. Right? The Bible says that all of us are hurting because of sin. And sin brings destruction and a broken fellowship with God. And we couldn't reach God on our own. We couldn't go to God. We couldn't do anything to merit any favor from Him. And yet God sees past that and He says, I want to come to you because I love you more than you know. And when He gives the invitation to come and see what He has done, we have to respond. We must respond. We must go in a hurry to receive the gift that he gives. It's not enough for us to hear about Jesus and peek into the manger and say, oh, okay, thank you. The truth is, even if Christ were born in Bethlehem a thousand times over, but he is not born again within you. you would still be eternally lost. Christmas reminds us, shouts to us, that we must come and see the Christ. And so I pray this season, when we come and reflect upon the graciousness of our King, that we come and see Jesus for who He is the Son of God who takes away the sins of mankind. And I pray this Christmas season, no matter what hurts you are carrying in this world, and there, there can be a multitude of them, you know that there is a gracious, kind Savior who has come to give you rest and life and forgiveness. And maybe... For the first time in a long time, this season will be full of joy for you because you know that God loves you. I love the events that surround the Christmas story because there is nothing spectacular about any of the people that, com- that God comes to speak to. But there is certainly something magnificent that takes place in the inconsequential places when God visits. And so I pray this season, you see the real joy of a Savior that has come. And I pray that you find life in that Savior. And that your heart overflows in thankful praise, not just now or next Saturday, Or maybe by next Sunday when we gather again to worship. But maybe next month. Or how about this, maybe on tax day, right Larry? (laughs) Because when God visits, everything changes. And we're thankful for that. So let me pray for you.